Hello, hello, and welcome to Decaf, a podcast by the Beacon Center of Tennessee. As always, it's your favorite co-hosts, Taylor and Mark. I have to brag on Mark really quick before we get started. I always make fun of Mark wearing Utah Jazz attire, which he makes fun of me for wearing Alabama attire, but his is way more egregious than mine. He's wearing jazz right now, and I am not wearing anything Alabama. But last week, we went into the office, and Mark said, I have a gift for you. And out of his briefcase, he pulls a Colin Sexton Utah Jazz jersey. Now, Colin Sexton is my boy. He was an Alabama basketball player. I have never had an NBA team, but with Colin Sexton on the jazz and Mark on the jazz, at least mind and soul, I am now a jazz fan. And I put it on over my dress and I wore it the entire rest of the day because I loved it so much. I haven't even hung it up yet. It's literally sitting on my chair so I can see it every day. So Mark, thank you for being such a good friend. I know a lot of people say that you're not always a good friend to me on this podcast and you give me too hard of a time, but you are a very good friend to get me that because I love it. And it was like kind of a, uh, I mean, you, you did a lot for me too, uh, professionally when I was on my, you know, honeymoon, cause I was gone for about two weeks and you filled in a lot of spots were, you know, not necessarily your job. So that was a thank you for that. And, and, you know, for everything you've done. And I'm glad the jazz, unlike Alabama actually have a chance to win a championship. So that's very cool that we can, we have that differential. You really had to hit me where it hurts, <laughs> didn't you? I was so stressed out during the game this week. I, one of my friends waitresses at a restaurant and when the game was tied, I said, this is for the birds. And I went to her restaurant and ordered myself a martini because I simply could not handle continuing to watch the game by myself at my house with it, with us really lagging to Lane Kiffin. I do not like Lane Kiffin and that hurt. It it hurt me. Don't you feel like it? I don't mean this in a negative way, but don't you think in in some ways it doesn't really matter anymore? Like, I mean, just because you're used to it's like you're used to national championships. It's like you're not getting the playoff no matter what now. So it's like at some point it's like, who cares if you lose four games? I mean, I get that you don't want to lose the Kiffin, but but like, <laughs> I care. What, what, but like once you're out of the, especially for a team like Alabama, once you're out of the chance of winning a national championship, which is all that you guys, you know, that's your, your success. Like you can't win anymore. I would feel like I wouldn't care as much. It's like if the jazz were eliminated from the playoffs, I just wouldn't, quite care as much as if like they still have a chance to make it no i care too much i'm a better fan than you are we'll you are not back a fan. To- <laughs> whatever we're gonna circle back to this yeah, i i, I could, yeah i will not give you a better fan than me I, I stick with a team that loses all the time for years and have you know you just talked about i have a million jerseys you're nowhere near a better fan than me i i've had to support a team that has been terrible for years and for years you get to support a national championship team that 10 and 2 is a bad season for you so i don't want to hear that Okay, whatever. I mean, I guess you can have that. We're going to circle back to this to talk about college football playoffs in a minute. But first, we're going to talk about the Tennessee election because apparently during our seven hours of live YouTube coverage, we didn't talk about it enough. In case you missed it, Mark and I did YouTube um, live election coverage on election night. Mark, have you uh, caught up on sleep since? Because I feel like all I did this weekend was sleep to recover my body from being up so late and and talking about everything we talked about for seven hours. I have not slept still on it. You know, Kira's sister had her wedding this weekend. So shout out to Ash and Preston for getting married. So, but that was me. Hey, congratulations. uh, Me getting up at 6 a.m. on Sunday or whatever to to drive Kira over. You know, just there's festivities all week. So still have not caught up in sleep yet. But, you know, hopefully we're going to Charleston here. Maybe I'll get some sleep there. I doubt it, but you never know. I doubt it. You're going to end up at a bar till 2 a.m. like you always are in Gatlinburg. Um, (laughs) There's only no Ubers at midnight. That's whatever. I'm still mad at Gatlinburg. Once I go to sleep. Sleep at 10 o'clock, everything becomes 2 a.m. if it happens after that. Um, so Tennessee had a great night in the on election night. Um, in addition to one thing that that like we're very happy about. Exactly. No, yeah. I mean it it was 
Amendment one, we, we covered this last week on our podcast, Amendment one, uh, the amendment that would put right to work in the state constitution passed by a massive margin. And this is such a huge deal because threats from the federal government have been coming so hot to make sure to say, we're going to make sure that no states can be right to work states. It doesn't make sense to any of us. And then we don't want it to happen here. So Beacon worked and Beacon Center and Beacon Impact both worked for years to try to get this thing through the process of being put on the ballot. And it was on the ballot. And I feel like if I never have to see a right to work ad again, I will be a happy, happy girl because that was that was a project that we put so much work into and we're so proud of. I mean, I say that looking out my window right now and still seeing my right to work election sign in my front yard. But Mark, talk to us more about why that was such a huge deal for Tennessee and why that meant such a huge night for us on election night. Yeah, I think the numbers were really shocking when you look at it. I think even Justin, who you know was on the yes on one committee, who was you know expecting a win and felt good about it, was was surprised by how you know what a landslide that's ended up being. I mean, you're talking about about seventy percent of the voters in Tennessee voted yes on right to one, yes on yes on one, right to work. Sorry, Uh, still tired. (laughs) But it was a uh, no. it It was a it was a huge landslide victory. And what's more interesting, we talked about this before, but these it's seventy percent said yes on on one, but there's people who didn't vote on that. And that's basically counted as no in this case. So 70% is a gigantic number. And when you look at the actual counties, which we didn't see before, the fact that uh, yes on run, which is right to work passed in Davidson County and Shelby County, you know, two kind of that you consider maybe not liberal, but democratic bastions in, in the state, it really shows the bipartisan support behind, you know, choosing whether or not you want to give union dues or should have to join a union. It's again, it's not anti-union. It's not, it's just pro worker. It's pro the ability to have a choice whether you want to join a union and pay union dues. So the 70% number and specifically winning in Davidson County when, when even the, you know, the city council said, Hey, vote no on one and it won Davidson County. So it actually even performed a, a little bit better than, than um, governor Lee, which is shocking. And governor Lee won it also in a landslide um, against a, um, New kind of not underfunded, not super serious opponent in Jason Martin, but it was a a big night all around. And I do think yes on one when you look at the actual numbers um, behind it, it, it was even more shocking. And really, anybody who says, "Oh, this is a you know far right wing thing," it's 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 not. It won literally every county. It won Davidson County, which you know continuously elects Democratic mayors. The the city council's always left to center. So uh, and same thing with Shelby County. I mean, you see consistent in the city of Memphis, you see consistent Democrats being elected. So this really was a bipartisan win. It's not some far right, you know, issue. It's a bipartisan win. And um, I think anybody on top of us, us passing this to make it almost impossible to take out of the Constitution, it's any, you know, Democrat specifically who looks and say, you know what, maybe I'm not on the side of the, some of the people I represent. This is not a conservative issue, no matter how much we pretended, you know, to portray it as an anti an anti worker. It's not 70 percent of workers in Tennessee said, no, no, this is for me. So please stop. You know, don't speak for me when you talk about it being anti worker. Yes, I all excellent points. It is pro worker and pro employer, pro economy in Tennessee. There really weren't any downsides to this. So when I say we had a big night in Tennessee Tuesday night, that is one of the things that I will remember for the rest of my life getting the text, getting to announce it on our show, and getting to celebrate that with my coworkers who put so much 
hard work into this and getting to celebrate on behalf of all the Tennesseans that don't have to face having automatic union dues drawn out of their paychecks. It's a beautiful thing. And the union bosses in their ivory towers are the one who said it's for the workers. It's not actually the workers. I want to be clear. It's the it's, you know, the union heads, the union bosses who make tons of money at the expense a lot of times of the actual union workers who kept saying this is anti-worker. No, it's anti. Maybe it's anti-union bosses. Maybe that's what it is, but it's not anti-worker. It's not anti-union. It's they tried to make, you know, yes on one something it wasn't. They tried to make it like this referendum on, you know, uh, conspiracy theories and right wing politics and all this other stuff. And, you know, the, the far right. And it wasn't any of this thing. So uh, I think that when you're dishonest and disingenuous, when you're talking about a campaign, voters are smart enough to see through that. And they did in this case. And I mean, I think if I'm, you know, if I'm the people in the union who, who really did that, that it would really make me think twice about it next time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I fully agree with that. And uh, even though we had a really great night here in Tennessee, there were some interesting results coming from the rest of the country. I will say going into the election night, Mark was more, Mark thought, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure you said you thought that the Republicans would take 53, house, 53 seats in the Senate. I thought it would be 50-50. I did not put my money where my mouth was. I was afraid to place any bets on predict it about it. But Mark thought it would be 53. And boy, were we shocked. When I say that all eyes were on Pennsylvania, and for good reason, it was neck and neck all night. Georgia's going to the runoff. What what has happened since Election Day, Mark, that we need to keep our eyes on going forward? Yeah, and you were a little wrong. I said fifty-two, but I was still wrong. Okay, I mean, it looks sorry, like it, sorry. The, the, the most likely outcome too. I mean, if you look at the the betting market, so the the Democrats already have fifty seats, so they have taken control of the Senate or kept control of the Senate no matter what. Uh, there's a runoff in Georgia where uh, the Democrats are favored. Um, so the most likely scenario is a fifty-one forty-nine Democratic Senate, which is surprising. Um, but you also saw the House. It, it's not quite been called yet, but the Republicans are going to retake the House. All of the numbers show that. It doesn't – I mean it's going to be a very close margin, but even President Biden acknowledged today, yeah, we didn't quite get there in the House. Um, so it, it's just it, – it was a really interesting election and you know, every political prognosticator is saying why they thought it happened because you have you know you have people saying and I, I mean i think part of it is too you had a lot of people you know on on the right specifically who kept talking about these things that really mattered to people in terms of inflation they talked about the economy they talked about the stock market but it's different saying hey that person's really bad at that that's a different message than this is what we're going to do this is what we're going to do differently because even some of the exit polls that showed you know who's better to handle inflation i think it was we saw 52 for republicans 44 for democrats with a an economy this way the the you know past trends of during these elections are usually the minority takes over because they take a lot of house seats and it didn't happen. And you have to wonder where the messaging was in the Republican party to talk about these issues, which we know matter people, right? Every single person, no matter political persuasion, really, really cares about inflation. They care about the economy. They care about their, their the stock market, their 401k. They care about the cost of gas, cost of everything. Um, and it's like, they didn't really need the Republicans to tell them it was a problem. Most of them knew, but I think they wanted a solution. And I, and I don't think they felt like they got that from every candidate. I think that there were some candidates that did better than others. And, um, and my one takeaway is no matter the, the one person who, if you're a Republican, you'd say this is the one person we need to thank more than anybody was Lee Zeldin, who ran for governor of New York, lost a very close five point 
battle there in the state of New York. But they said that he probably flipped four House seats himself, which just because it was so close because people vote down the ballot. And that flipping of four House seats is why the Republicans are going to control the Senate if it was or the House. If it wasn't for Lee Zeldin running so strong with Kathy Hochul uh, in the New York governor's race, it likely would be a Democratic House, too. So it was interesting. It was fun to watch election results come in. You know, some things – it just shows you too that not everything's connected. You see these results in Florida early in the night and you're like, wow. And I even said that on our election show, don't take the Florida results. I mean, that's what's going to happen in the country. That's what happened in 2022. And it wasn't quite the same the rest of the country, but you see Florida, you see New York and California, which all actually went uh, somewhat substantially red compared to where they've been. But the Democrats did very, very well in some of these purple states where they, they held on to governorships in some of these places you really thought they might not. Uh, and they held on to Senate seats in places like Arizona, Nevada. So it, it was just an interesting interesting night you know i think that both parties can say oh we won because of this both parties can say we lost because of this but i mean i think if you're looking at it from a really trying to look at it from an outside perspective you have to say the democrats had a pretty good night overall and you have to say that republicans need to really think about candidate selection in the future i one of my biggest things was watching uh research coming out ahead of the election about how many people in different age groups are motivated to vote gen z age group is not motivated to vote Regardless of party, they are not motivated to vote. So what does that say about candidate selection from both parties in any state? I think it says a lot. And so I think that both parties, any party, would be wise to evaluate, very carefully evaluate candidate selection, message test, see how focus groups, see how people respond to their candidates before they start running in in the next election in just two years. And it does seem like people are identifying less with parties and more candidates. I and mean, we've seen a lot of split tickets. I mean, even I think there was a place like New Hampshire, you're talking about like a 20 point swing between the governor and Senate race. Pennsylvania, you're talking about a, a, a double digit 10 point swing between the governor and Senate. Even Arizona, you're talking about three or four points. Almost every state, you saw a pretty decent, you know, couple. I mean, Nevada, you have uh, a uh, there's going to be a Republican governor there that that unseated the, the Democratic governor, but uh, Adam Laxalt was not able to, to win against Catherine Cortez Mastro. So you have these different situations, but you see people are willing to vote for both parties. And I'm sure it's kind of a mixture of, of both. In Ohio, sure. you saw a 10-point swing. But they're saying, I don't care as much about the party. I care about the individual candidate. And I think more than ever, I, I think the split ticket was really on full display uh, in this election. So it does, no matter where you're at, no matter what your politics are, it, it really is important that you put out good quality candidates who stick to messaging, like you said, and, and I mean, talk about the issues that really matter to people in a way that I don't know if you want to say it's moderate, but in a way that that is not considered extreme by, by the general voting population. I totally agree. Candidate selection is going to be everything going into 2024. And you're probably going to have to hear me talk about it a lot more times. So buckle up with, and get ready. With the presidency too, with the presidency on I, both sides. I'm telling I think you, that, it's going to be yeah, huge. People are worried. Yeah. People are worried. Candidate selection is going to be huge in 2024 and I will be analyzing all of it in my house and then sharing it with you guys if you ask for it. Back to college football. I remain depressed. After so after the Tennessee game, I my phone blew up with text messages asking me if I was okay. After the LSU game, my phone blew up with text messages saying, I'm so sorry. This game, everyone was texting me, including you, Mark, and saying, What in the world is Alabama doing? This is not a Nick Saban Alabama team. I guess that this means that LSU will take the SEC West and the winner of they've, Tennessee, Georgia. They've already, cl they've already clinched it, actually. Yeah, the and winner Georgia, of Tennessee. Georgia, too. Georgia's already Georgia in. did clinch. Yep, yep. So it's Georgia versus LSU. Okay, so here we go, baby. Georgia versus LSU. My money's on Georgia. I think they're going to run the wheels off LSU, but 
that that's just me. I also, mom and I were talking about getting tickets to an Alabama bowl game. And I was just really down on it. I was like, we're not going to be in any big name bowls. I know they're predicting potentially a sugar bowl, which could be fun, but I'm, I'm nervous, Mark. You got any predictions for bowl games? Yeah, I have a couple of things. I mean, I mean, first of all, and I, I just need to say this and I'm sorry to do this, but um, Alabama has no, no business being in the top 10 right now. They, they honestly are not a good football team. And we saw a should have, they should have lost to Texas. They almost lost to three and seven Texas A&M. So that's on top of the actual loss that they have. They're just not a great football team. And it's hard to lean I think I think you know that. I mean, I'm not. I don't think I'm saying that you don't know. They're no, not. No, I just it, it just makes me want to go stand in traffic. But well, I mean, yeah, it's but, true. <laughs> but you know, they're not a great football team. They're not bad. But it really, um, I, I think I still stick with the same issue. Which I mean, I guess I'm agreeing with you that I've not seen anything from from LSU. They beat Alabama, which is not the same Alabama team. I still saw them lose by thirty something points to Tennessee just a few weeks ago. I still know they lost to Florida State, a bad loss. So it's just hard. It's hard for me to see what LSU has done other than beat what is clearly a super down Alabama team and, you know, a very average Ole Miss team. I, I, I don't understand why they're getting this love. I will absolutely boycott in the streets if LSU somehow gets in the playoffs. They have absolutely, no matter what happens, I don't care if they're going to beat Georgia. They have two losses. So the playoff is going to be interesting because to me, I think Georgia is probably in no matter what. Whether they uh-huh. win or lose, I think that they're going to be one of the four teams. I think, and this is interesting, but I think Tennessee should be in over LSU for sure. So I think Tennessee, in my opinion, is probably in either way. I think that they're going to be in the playoffs. Okay. You're going to have the Big Ten champion, which is you know Ohio State or Michigan. One of them is going to be in there unless something crazy happens because it's, it's kind of built like the SEC where in the past you know, 10 years, you have one side of the conference that's really good and the other side is trash. So you're sure. going to have an <laughs> Illinois team or Purdue team with like three or four losses going against Ohio State. So they could really ruin things if they kind of pull a gigantic upset. Um, but otherwise, mm-hmm. you'd assume it's, it's Ohio State. And then if TCU wins out, they're in. I mean, they're an undefeated Big 12 team. It's hard to believe they win out. Um, USC is not good. I don't think they should be there. So then you kind of have like, do you put a one loss Michigan or Ohio state team in assuming TC loses? Do you put a one loss USC team? I'm actually, my prediction is I'm going to go, and this is actually, nobody's predicting this. So this is, nobody believes this, I guess, because Michigan strength the schedule so bad. I think it's gonna be two SEC teams and two big 10 teams. I think it's gonna be two conferences. I think it's gonna be Michigan, Ohio state, Tennessee, Georgia. Um, And yeah, and with that being said, I think it's hard. It's hard to bet against what Georgia's doing. But if you want the sleeper team, I think Michigan is a very, very good football team that could really give Georgia some some fits on defense. So that's my guess. You know, if I'm a what you mean, if I'm betting, you know, I'm taking Georgia. If I'm betting with the best odds, I'm taking Michigan because I think they have a real chance to win. They're still like 10 to one. And I do think Michigan actually ed- ends up upsetting Ohio State at Ohio State this year. So that that would actually make things a lot more interesting. If the playoffs really do shake out like that, then I've never been less interested in watching a college football playoff. That sounds like my absolute nightmare. Who do you go for when you hate every single team? It'd be fun to see TCU get in. I do think that'd be a fun team that's not usually there. You know, it's it's a team that was not supposed to be that good, and they're 9-0, and they just seem to keep winning games. Now, again, I don't know if they could win, but that would actually be a fun team to cheer for because, like, it's it's different than the teams we've seen. Like, I think about last year, you had Georgia and Michigan were both in it. Ohio State's pretty much in it every year. I was like, Tennessee has been not in it for quite a while so if you don't hate tennessee that's maybe the team to cheer for but i know you do um so do. you will not be cheering for them i, <laughs> will not. Me, I probably won't and, even watch an outsider's perspective though that's the team to cheer for right because they've not been relevant in like 20 years sure so sure. it's like it's at to least, me, it's at least a, yeah well i mean they are but it's at least <laughs> a new team in there so it'll be interesting to see and, and you know i am um, i i do believe in tennessee 
enough. I think they're good. I think they could win it all. They were clearly shown in the first game to be pretty, you know, a lot worse than Georgia. But let's not forget, Georgia was shown to be a lot worse than Alabama in the, in the regular season game. That didn't actually translate to the playoff. So, I mean, things yeah. can change. In, in a, but, I mean, things can change, right? It's just because they were better in this one game, especially at home. It doesn't mean they would beat Tennessee on a neutral field, you know, in a month and a half from now. So, it'll be interesting to see. But, yeah, I'd still say Georgia is probably the best team. Um, I, I, I take Michigan second. I uh, the only thing that I have to look forward to, the only thing I have to live for now is a expanded playoff. So that's what I'm looking forward to for the future. It's clearly not Alabama's prospects this year, but an expanded playoff is what I have hopes for. We would argue so much more because I would argue that Alabama should not be in the expanded playoff even with 12 teams because I like that that we would have a whole argument about that. It's a good thing you're not on the committee, Mark. <laughs> it's a good thing for me and my sanity. Uh, well, before we go, yeah, right. Before we go, Mark and I are headed to Charleston in the morning. Our whole staff is headed to Charleston for a strategic planning retreat. When we work from home, we have such a small office space. Sometimes it's just easier for us to do our strategic planning when we're all in the same place. And it's a fun trip that we all get to go on, spend time together, spend time with our friends that we don't get to see as often because now we're not in the office all the time. We have dinner. I don't know what, what Mark's plan is, but Suzanne and I have, and Stephanie, we have made dinner plans at all these fancy restaurants. My bag is probably 50 pounds already and I haven't even put in my hair products. I am so excited to go to Charleston. Charleston's one of my favorite cities ever, but Mark, you have done a good bit of traveling in the last few years. You always do a good bit of traveling. You got anything that you're looking forward to after Charleston? I think my my anxiety will chill once Charleston is over, but then yeah. I'll have a next project, a next trip ramp up. What is what's on your horizon? Isn't it hard? How, like you're so excited about trips, but like there's also a lot of anxiety included in that. You're like, oh, I have to wake up. I have to make sure I get all my stuff. I have to think about what I'm doing there. Like it is. I know it's, yes. it sucks that it's like no, my that. My stomach but- has been hurting all day. Like I am so anxious. And it's like once you're there, things are good, but it's like the getting there is kind of annoying. Yeah. You know, I I have a couple of good trips, so I'm really excited about – I do this every year or most years, but I'm going to New York by myself in March. I'm always excited about Mm -hmm. spending a week there eating – the best food that there is possible. But we're doing something new this year. Where I'm going to Florida for about a month. Um, I, I actually got a, it's off season. I want enough betting this year that I can afford kind of a beach house for a month. And it's in 30 days. So I'm really looking forward to that kind of, you know, me and my wife and, and my dog Sloan are to go. And then my, my parents are going to visit for a little bit and my sister and I think her sister. So it's, it'll be a fun, it'll be a nice relaxed vacation, a great, you know, think about working from home. So, I mean, thank you to, I'm glad that our, our leadership has allowed us to work from home. Justin yes. has allowed us to work from home and that's been a huge plus. So I'm really excited about that. And I think that you might be excited about the same place I am. What, what's your trip that you're most excited about this year? I'm excited about both of the same places you are. So the week between, so my little sister got married last year and she didn't have a lot of vacation time after the wedding. So she and her husband delayed their honeymoon. So the week after Thanksgiving, they're going to St. Lucia. Well, my mom and I being single women felt very left out. And so we booked ourselves a 30A beach trip the week between Christmas and New Year's. So I will be in 30A the week before Mark gets there. And then the day I get back from 30A, I'm flying to New York to spend New Year's and the first few days of January in New York. Um, I know it kind of sounds miserable, January in New York, but I love January in New York. I think that the weather is just beautiful in New York in January. Walk around, holding your coffee. It just is the most happy and wonderful time and things will still be decorated for Christmas. And I've never done a trip to New York around Christmas time. I've been a lot and it's always been spring and summer and fall. Um, So I've never really done winter Christmas season in New York. So I'm excited to do, we're taking the same trips just at a different time, which this is what happens when you spend as much time together as (laughs) me and Mark spend together. (laughs) 
And it's funny because like I think New York in, in January sounds great. Like I love that. I like but what I think sounds miserable, which you did not explain, is you are flying into New York on the night of New Year's Eve. You are flying in at like what six or seven o'clock. It, it that sounds like the most stressful thing. And going trying to take a, an Uber on New Year's Eve in New York City, it sounds like I'd blow my brains out. I mean, that is insane. <laughs> I will say I'm not going, we're not doing like a Times Square New Year's. We're not doing anything like that. I will be going from LaGuardia to the West Village, which should be. You go through where all the traffic is. It's not that simple. It's still, it's in Manhattan. It's not like you're going to Brooklyn. Like that sounds like a nightmare to me. The the airport, which I think will be crazy, but I imagine the Uber is going to be probably $500 for you to get to get there i mean think about it with all the ubers going in new york there's no way you're gonna get a good deal on that plus always surge anyway on new year's eve if you have anybody who has a car there i would try to get them to pick you up maybe you're right maybe i should fly into jfk and take the subway into I would fly into newark if anything i'm thinking about this i'm now rethinking my flight plans but either way i'm going to new york for new year's unless alabama goes to the sugar bowl and then i'm going to the sugar bowl so those are my two options if i need i need our bowl predictions to come out real quick so that i can i can get my ticket for this football game because i haven't been to a bama game since i was right out of college i haven't been in so long so if we go to the sugar bowl don't roll your eyes i want to go i thought you, I I thought you went last year did you go last year no i haven't been to a Bama oh, game since okay. i've lived in tennessee so i gotta go i haven't i haven't been to one since i lived in birmingham so those are those are our future plans but uh when you're listening to this podcast mark and i will be in charleston i will probably have eaten so many oysters i can't even count them <laughs> and mark will have had so many beers during the titans packers game because he's having to listen to our co-workers who are all either titans or packers fans fight so think of us doing that when you listen to this podcast once again this has been decaf a production of the beacon center of tennis See. Subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts today, and we will see you next week.